What is the importance of being present? Of being available to interact with people face to face? With the advancement of technology, many of us communicate mostly virtually with other people. As a matter of fact, we likely all remember a time when even this Sunday morning gathering was done online and not face-to-face -face here in this space. Now, I am very thankful that we are able to gather together on a Sunday and in other parts of the week here at Beacon. It is a beautiful thing when brothers and sisters in Christ can come together and just see these beautiful attitudes of the kingdom in action, to fellowship together in person. And we spent the last few weeks going through the first part of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And in that, we went through the Beatitudes, which showed a glimpse of what the citizens of God's kingdom look like. What's the internal heart attributes of the kingdom. But starting today, in today's passage, we arrive at how Christ's followers should interact with the rest of the world, the surrounding world, those who are in it. And while these verses may surprise us at times, I encourage us to pay attention for they are profitable not just for the original hearers of that sermon, but even today, they are valuable to us. And so let's pay attention. If you have a Bible with you, uh, one that we provided on the stands or one that you brought with you, you can turn now to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We are continuing to look at Matthew's gospel account in our series entitled, The Way of the King. Now, we say this often, but it is true. If you don't have a Bible with you and you would like one, please let us know. There are some available for you in the lobby. And it's helpful as we're going through any series, any book series of the Bible, to be able to read along while you're at home. And so if you don't have one, please let us know. There is a free one available for you. And also, if you don't have a Bible near you, we're actually going to project these four verses on the screen behind me as I read. So now, we turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and I'll read starting, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, and I'll read starting with verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father 
who is in heaven. Now to better understand this passage, I'm just going to split it up into two main takeaways. The first, the value of a salted church in a decaying world. The second, the importance of an illuminated church in times of darkness. Again, first, the value of a salted church in a decaying world, and then second, the importance of an illuminated church in times of darkness. First, the value of a salted church. What does salt mean to you? What does that ingredient mean in your day-to-day life? Now, likely in each of our households, there is a container of salt in your kitchen. You know, whether it's in the form of kosher salt or sea salt or table salt or even a salted condiment, we all probably are very familiar with this ingredient. And we are familiar with it because it's very common to our modern meals that we enjoy. It's common because of its flavor-enhancing qualities. Now, at the time of this sermon, the original hearers, they would have known about this quality of salt, that it does enhance flavor. But there is another vital use of salt that I feel enhances the essence of this encouragement, and that is salt preserves. Now, we may not think about this quality of salt often now because we have technologies like refrigeration. But at the time of this preaching, the disciples would have viewed salt as a valuable commodity. In fact, one of the words that we are familiar with, salary, comes from the term salt money. And it was called that because it was the payment for Roman soldiers during this time for their services. They were literally given salt. Now, this was more than just to to add a little seasoning to their meals, to make it taste better. It was valuable because salt was used to preserve perishable items like meat. You can imagine in the hot weather conditions, if you didn't have a way to preserve these items, they would be spoiled and be useless. And so they needed a way to sustain it, to take care of it, unless they were just going to eat it right away. Now, without the technology of refrigeration, the only accessible way to do this, to keep foods fresh, would be to use the preserving ability of salt. Now, let me just real quick go for, or provide some, some science for you. Salt, it acts as a, a dehydrator. Literally, it draws moisture out of food items and other objects as well. This reduction in water, it results in three things. One, as it draws water out, it prevents microorganisms on the food, like bacteria, from growing. Two, it draws water out of the microorganism cells, and in the end, they die. And three, 
that creates a barrier around the microorganisms, or excuse me, a barrier around the food item, so it prevents new microorganisms from latching on. All this is just to control the decay of the food item, to keep it more usable for a longer period of time. And this, you have to imagine, reduce the anxiety for soldiers and other people during that time to have to look around to find meat sources or to purchase it every single day, sometimes for multiple meals at a time. In many ways, salt became a precious ingredient that sustained life. Now, in a similar manner, the citizens of God's kingdom are called to be salt in a decaying world. We are called to be a preserving ingredient that is added to the world for people who are struggling, struggling with the life-destroying consequences of sin. Sin, similar to what Dylan mentioned before, sin is the rejection of God's perfect rule. It not only separates us from a holy God, sin, as many of us know well, damages relationships. Sin damages even ourselves. Sin leads us away from the life-given embrace of God's word, and it leads us towards our death. Now, even the song we just sang spoke on that, but we have other songs that we can look to to know about this result of sin. As a matter of fact, in our Bibles, we see David, the historic Israelite king, speak of this result of sin in many of his psalms. I'm just going to give you one example. Psalm 38, in verses 4 through 5, it reads, For my inequities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. Now, that may seem dramatic in tone, but in fact, David was expressing the real-life consequence of sin. It destroys. Now, sometimes that destruction is slow. It takes a while to be seen. At other times, it causes severe damage that is seen by all, but sin in itself destroys and it always leads to that deserved death. You may have noticed in, in David's psalm, in those verses, he did not hide his part in causing that pain. Instead, the psalmist, he spoke of his offense to God. Notice the words, my inequities, my foolishness. He wasn't blaming somebody else. He knew it was him who caused that pain and suffering because of his sin. In the same manner, it is our personal rejection of God's rule that brings about the decay within us. It is the earned payment, like the salt money to soldiers, it is the earned payment for a rebellious heart that embraces sin. Sin. 
Romans 6.23, perhaps this is a verse that, that, that you have memorized, I know I have. For the wages of sin is death. Praise God, the verse doesn't stop there. Again, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God, for he comes in like a protective balm on an open wound, and he gives us this grace-filled truth that provides comfort to the sinner's heart. For it is Christ that we find healing from the decay caused by sin. Now, if you look further on in the gospel account of Matthew, if you read through this gospel account, you can see that there are many miracles that are mentioned. Many miracles of Jesus coming into the lives of those who are, who are sick, even those who are dead, and physically healing them, removing that affliction. But those were only pointers to the greater work that would be done, the saving work that we find in the cross of Christ. For as a corpse is unable to remove the sting of death, because of sin, we are unable to remove the fact that we are spiritually dead men walking. But thanks be to God, the Christian can rejoice because Christ came to pull us out of the spiritual death and into his life-given embrace. And the church is where we come in. We are called to be the preservative that shares this good news with the world. And in and it is the presence of these gospel-proclaiming Christians that God uses to bring about amazing change in our communities. I hope you are aware of this, and if you're not, if you're not, know this. Like, we see examples of it just in many of the institutions that have been made here in this country. If you think about it, schools, hospitals, even orphanages, different programs to help orphans, different programs to help the elderly, who were they started by? By Christians, those gospel-proclaiming Christians who were being salt in a dying world. That's not just true in the United States, in other countries as well. If you don't know this, read about it. It can encourage you. God is moving in the work of people Christians being salt. And as salt does to microorganisms, I'm going to go a little scientific again, the church should be the ingredient that draws sin out of hiding, that expels it from our communities, that serves as a protection for the good of all people, not just those who are Christians, but all people in our world, 
That's what we should be doing as Christians. So whether, no matter what your job is, you know, your day-to-day is during the week, whether it is, is working at home, working in education, working in business, in the military, in social services, the presence of Christ's followers, it should be pointers to the grace of Christ. That's what we should be doing. So here's a question, a question I ask myself, a question we should all ask ourselves. Are you being salt? As you interact with your neighbors, with family members, friends, coworkers, classmates, are you being salt? Are you being that preserving ingredient that points others to Christ's healing embrace? Jesus shares a a sad warning that that we should pay attention to in these verses. Salt that loses its saltiness also gives up its usefulness. It is no longer profitable. It loses its important purpose. And that is the reality of a Christian trying to interact with the world without Christ. Church, when we do this, we lose the very essence of who we are. We become less valuable, not just to the surrounding world. When we ignore or we throw away, we, we, we give up the gospel, we are no longer valuable even to ourselves. So Christian, do you find yourself less salted these days? Perhaps you find yourselves bitter, resentful, or annoyed by the people in your life. Perhaps you don't even feel like talking to them about Jesus or talking to them at all. If that is you, I encourage you, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the one who provides that life-given embrace and be re-salted. Let God's word rejuvenate you And may you, like salt, make those you interact with thirsty for the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Let us be salt, something we can only do by the grace of Christ. And while we're doing that, let us also serve as light in times of darkness. Which brings us to our our second and last takeaway, the value or the importance of an illuminated church. Now, as we we see that description that is given, that, that Christ gives the citizens of the kingdom, we shouldn't take it lightly. Because in the gospel account of John, we see another who is given that description. In John chapter 1, verses 4, it reads, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As he did when he called the sun into existence, Christ came into the world to shine a light that the world needed, to to 
bring light to a world that was surrounded, covered in darkness. But there's just one problem. John's account also touches on this. In John chapter 3, verse 19, it reads, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We live in a world covered in darkness. You can probably see that just in perhaps in your day-to-day, perhaps when you're listening to the news. Nation warring against nation, and even people of the same nation battling against each other. We see it as people, they completely reject the beauty of being made in God's image. As those who destroy or seek to destroy the unborn and those who deny basic biological truth, we see that our world is in darkness. So we must not take, we must not ignore Jesus' words when he calls the church to be the light of the world. Now when Christ ascended into heaven, it may have seemed that perhaps the light that came into the world was removed. Perhaps it was no more, but that was not a part of God's plan. Like the moon, it reflects the sunlight, we too are called to be reflections of the light of Christ. And by grace, Christ, he enables the believer to be children of the light. We are no longer in love with the darkness. Now, when I think about that, I have to look in the mirror and realize I am not a perfect light children. Perhaps you feel the same. You don't do things perfectly. You're not a perfect reflection. But in Christ, the church can shine with a beam that can penetrate even the darkest hour, even the most disparaging situation. Church, we can be that light. We are called to be that light. Now, Jesus made some basic statements in this passage to to draw out an important lesson. You know, if you look at these verses, of course, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I mean, that, that, that just makes sense, you know? And everyone knows that you don't light a lamp and then cover it up. That would be foolish. You know, you put it somewhere so it can be useful. You put it somewhere so, so everybody could see. So like some of these lamps that we have here, we don't cover it up. We, we make it so we can all see what's going on in this space. You know, if both of these scenarios seem pretty obvious, that is the point. In the same way, the church should be a light that shines for others to see. Now, a good question is, what should others see? What what are we shining this light for? And it says it in this passage. We shine the light so others can see our good works. Now, in, in contrast to the evil works that those who are in love with darkness perform, Christ followers are to do the works empowered by the gospel. 
And those works should not just be performed here within these walls. That would be nice for us to be gospel proclaiming, to, be, to show the attributes of the kingdom when we're together, but we're called to do more than that. Outside of these walls, we are to go out and to shine that light. So whether it's on a Sunday morning gathering or a random Thursday at work or school, you, Christian, should be shining a light in the same manner that reveals the difference between one who worships Jesus as Lord and one who does not. There should be a difference. That difference should be seen in your works. This is not for our own glory or praise. It can't be. For think about it, none of us can save a sinner's soul. It should be for the glory of the one who can save, who has saved, and continues to save. We should be illuminated signposts set up to give glory to the one who has overcome the darkness, the everlasting light, Jesus Christ. You know, even as a, a small candle, a small light, as it enters a, a, an unlit room, it's visible. That should be the same for Christians entering in different areas of the world. We, no matter how small we feel, by God's grace, our light can be seen for others and point them to Christ. Christians, we should be the ones that help others hear and know about God's grace, telling the world of the hope we have in Jesus. So here's a question. Christian, is the light of Christ shining within you for others to see? Is the grace-empowered illumination that gives glory to God visible as you interact with other people. You know, even in difficult times, we must not hide our lamp under the basket of fear. Whether it's in your workplace or your school, as difficult as it may feel, we must not hide this light under the basket of being you know, insecure of what others may feel about us, may think about us, what they may say about us, that we may seem weird, so different from the culture. By God's grace, we are different. And we should rejoice in that and as such, shine that light, not just for our good, but for the good of those who see it. Good of the world who is in need of Christ, to know that truth and to know that there is a Savior. We must shine our light for the good of a world that needs to see his glory. Perhaps you are here today, and as you think about even this week, you're not seeing that much light in your life. Maybe as you think about your day-to-day, -day, what you see is 
a battle, both an internal and external battle of darkness. You may have spent years in love with sin. If that is you, there is hope in a Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I want you to hear this truth again from the gospel account of John. The light of Christ that has come into the world shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friend, no matter how deep in sin you are, the one that brings life can rescue you, can pull you out of the depths of sin. He can save you. Jesus is able to. If you'd like to know more about this true light, reach out to any member here at Beacon Community Church. We are available, we are present here to tell you more about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, there is a glorious promise that I find can be an encouragement to you today as it is to me. It's a glorious promise about what an eternity in Christ's embrace will look like. In Revelation chapter 2, verse, chapter 22, verse 5, it reads, And the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. No matter what the times of darkness may bring, no matter what despair you may see, remember there is hope in Jesus Christ, the healer and light of the world. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to praise your name, for you are good. For you are the one who brings life and light into this world. And Father, even as we may think about our day-to-day, -day, even as we think about perhaps our workplaces, our schools, our, our families, our neighborhoods, we know that we live in a world in need of hearing about this truth of knowing that there is a Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as imperfect as we may be, let us be that salt and light that you send into the world to share this good news with others. And Lord, maybe you, your word penetrate hearts and bring them out of the depths of sin and into your wonderful love and embrace. Father, we thank you for these moments that we can gather, but we know this is just, the, the, just a, a, a glimmer of the, the, the hope that we have that you will bring about upon your return. That as the, your words in Revelation have provided, that there will be a time where there will be no more darkness, that the light will reign forever and ever.
And we desire it. We look forward to it. Father, remind us, no matter the difficulties, that that is the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you again for this time and for an opportunity just to praise your name together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.